Take your Bible out this morning and turn to the book of Genesis within God's Word. Turn to the book of Genesis within God's Word. We appreciate your attendance here this morning. Blessings, blessings, blessings be upon you. If I scoot out quickly after the service this morning and don't spend time shaking every hand, my wife and I got to get to the airport. Uh, we're flying down to Florida, not for vacation time, but for work time. Mom and dad have three children, and who have they called to help them move back up to Michigan? And the eldest, yeah. And uh, we're flying down there, and I've got a mom. I know I'm going to get in an argument. She's got to leave every nook, cranny, corner of that house absolutely clean. She's a neat freak. And uh, any obsessive, compulsive behavior that I have has come from my mommy. And she is a neat freak. That's why I was freaking out about our altar last night. And uh, I, I know I'm just going to tell her, Mom, it's sold. It's sold. Just let it walk away. Let them take care of it. No, everything's going to have to be uh, neat freak tidy. And uh, we'll be doing that and helping the movers, uh, carrying stuff out, and, uh, and then uh, driving them, not flying, driving them back. And so uh, we covet your prayers and appreciate your love uh, while we are gone. Amen. Genesis chapter 12, if you want to be ready in your Bibles this morning. Genesis chapter 12 within God's Word. An old rich farmer came up to the church receptionist window and said, my dear young lady to the secretary, I want to talk to the head hog. I want to see the head hog, and I want to talk to him right now. The church secretary was shocked, aghast, and said, sir, we never, never refer to our holy, revered pastor in such terms. He is reverend. He is doctor. He is pastor. Uh, we do not use such language in reference to him. Young lady, I'm here to give a million dollars to the church. Now I want to talk to the head hog. She said, I think I hear the old porker coming right now. I think I hear him coming right now, the old porker. <laughs> By the way, anybody wants to do that, you can call me uh, old porker any day of the week. My, 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 we're head hog, sure. What legacy? What legacy impacts our world and eternity the most? Who are the people that are most praised and well-remembered by other people and most praised and remembered by God? Ever think about that? I'll tell you. The generous. The generous. Those who live a legacy of generosity. Nowhere else in the Bible is a legacy of generosity that is passed down generation to generation seen more evident than with the patriarchs. Do you remember who the patriarchs are? Give me the most famous patriarch of all. 
Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob that's where we're going this morning Abraham Isaac and Jacob each of these generations lived a legacy that God is also calling you and I to this morning I, I want you to hear a word for the Lord that I've entitled a legacy of generosity father in the name of Jesus grant us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us in this hour in the name of Jesus amen and amen Abraham consider the incredible legacy a blessing that God gave Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. I want you to know what words am I leaving out. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Did God fulfill his promises to Abraham? Did God bless Abraham in every way that he promised to do so? Yes, and even more so. And even today, the name Abraham is famous. His children are a nation in Israel. It's an eternal covenant, the land of Israel. And let the Palestinians and every Muslim terrorist be aware of it. God has promised. God keeps his promises. But it, the Bible reveals that not only did God want to bless Abraham, God desires to bless you. He desires to bless me. Look at the host of scriptures. I don't have time to read them all. Deuteronomy 8, remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you power to get wealth. Psalms 1, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Whatever they do prospers. Proverbs 8, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth that I may fill their treasuries. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. 3 John 2, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in some things, no, all things, and be in health just as your soul prospers. Proverbs 11, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. There it is. The litany goes on and on and on. God desires to promote you. God desires to promise, to prosper you, to bless you. Uh, in fact, Jeremiah 29, 11, I just recited, Thus saith the Lord, uh, uh, I desire to bless you, to prosper you, and not to harm you, to give you a hope, and to give you a future. But Abraham, Abraham wasn't blessed for his own self-enrichment. He wasn't blessed for his greeds. Uh, Abraham was blessed, write it down, to be a blessing. Now look at the words that I left out of Genesis chapter 12. I want you to circle these important words, these important principles. God said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a 
blessing to others. Please circle that, underscore it, highlight it. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. Now notice, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham was blessed. Why? To be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. And so are you. So are you. You know, uh, we often read promises like that and say, All right, God, uh, I'm ready. Uh, pour it on me. Bring it on me. Bring on the blessings. But notice first, we must not just do something, we must be something. We're not blessed for our greeds, but to meet needs. He blesses us to be a blessing. In fact, in fact, uh, until uh, we're ready to be a blessing to others, uh, uh, until we're ready to live a legacy of generosity, we'll never really enjoy God's prosperity or favor. Jesus said in Luke 6, uh, with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. This is an abiding principle within Scripture. I'll keep coming back to this principle throughout the message. When, when, when I do this, what fundamental law of nature is at work? Gravity. Now, you can go ahead and try to superimpose your will on the law of gravity, jump off the building and believe you're Superman, but honey, sir, ma'am, I wouldn't advise it. You'll be in a world of hurt. God has his spiritual laws. There is the law throughout the Word of God of reciprocity. Reciprocity. I'll keep coming back to this. With the measure that you use, with others, and especially with God, it'll be measured to you. You see this both Old Testament and New Testament, Genesis to Revelation. You see that. What you make happen for others, God will make happen to you. <laughs> Something, write it down, supernatural happens when we get our eyes off of ourselves and turn to the needs of those around us. Do you need a miracle? Right now, do you need a financial miracle, a healing miracle? Do you need a provision miracle from God? Hear the word of the Lord. Not my word, hear his word. The prophet Isaiah said, when you feed the hungry, when you clothe the naked, when you encourage the oppressed, then your life is going to break forth like the dawn. Then your healing is going to quickly come. You see the law of reciprocity there. By God, did you hear that? The miraculous takes place when you're generous in meeting the needs of others. Hey, God loves when we worship. God loves it when we lift up our hands and lift up our voices and praise Him as King of kings and Lord of lords. But nothing pleases God more than when we take care of one of his hurting little children. That little child might be nine, 
It might be 90, but there's nothing that touches the heart of God more. But pastor, I don't have anything to give. Jesus corrects that notion in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. You know, that, that word by the Lord tells me a lot of things. It lets me know that nothing escapes his notice. It lets me know that nothing that I do for the needs of others, nothing, uh, no matter how small, escapes the notice of God Almighty. And he records it in his book of records. Uh, and he amply rewards us, uh, not just for the big stuff, but also for every small thing that you do in the name of Jesus to meet the needs of others. Do you see that? Sir, ma'am, young person, somebody... Somebody is out there that needs your smile. Somebody needs what you have to give. It may be your money. It may be your time. It might be your listening ear. It might be your caring heart. It might be your, your warm, appropriate hug. But you've got something that somebody needs. And you can do it unto them as to the glory of God. You can choose to live a legacy of generosity. Pastor, pastor, when's God going to start blessing me? When you start being a blessing? Quit trying to figure out what people can do for you and start figuring out what you can do for others. You see that? We're blessed to be a blessing. Where does a legacy of generosity, where should it first begin? In the home. You got it. At home. At home. What's the number one thing that married couples fight over? <laughs> Boy, there was no division of the house there. A couple was quarreling over their finances, and finally the husband exploded. If it weren't for my money... This house wouldn't be here. She looked at him and said, Listen, dear, if it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. Why do we, why do we often withhold love? from our mates, our spouses. Well, you know, Pastor, she used to make me feel special. She used to make me incredible dinners. She used to make the bedroom come alive at night. Now she just shops, 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 and nags, nags, nags. 
Well, Pastor, he used to tenderly hold me. He used to tell me how beautiful I am. He, he used to tell me how much he, he really loves me. Now he, 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 he just sits there in his recliner like a grunting, unemotional blob of jello. And the only thing he knows how to work is his remote control. Now welcome to my world of counseling. And we sit back waiting for our spouse to do for us before we do anything for them. And we end up with what I like to call the two ticks and a dog syndrome. What's a tick? What's a tick? It's a bloodsucker. Is a tick a taker or a giver? Taker. You put a tick on a dog and it does nothing throughout its whole life in, 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 in that parasitical relationship. To take, 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 take. It exists only to take. Now what happens? This is what us ministers have to deal with. What happens when you've got two young people or two old people that say, I do to one another, the rings are slipped upon the finger, and then all of a sudden we discover in our first counseling session, our first emergency room treatment, one year after the marriage, oh my Lord, we've got two ticks living together and no dog. <laughs> two ticks living together and no dog. They both have assumed, as they've entered into the relationship, I'm going to marry you for what you can do for me. I'm going to uh, join you in matrimony for what you can be to me. How you can make me feel good about myself. I need to remind couples all the time, there's only one person that was ever meant to satisfy your soul. And that ain't your hubby, and that ain't wifey. That's Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of your soul. Only He, only He can bring you real joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Two ticks and a dog. Okay, spouses, marital mates, what do you need to start doing? Stop waiting. Stop waiting. Stop waiting for the other to bring you a blessing. Be proactive. Stop waiting for a blessing and determine to be a blessing no matter what happens in the marriage. Live a legacy of generosity with your, your spouse. Learn to be a giver and, and not a taker. You know, there's an old saying, uh, uh, love, real love is not love until it's given away. Until it's given away. Hubby, what does it cost? What does it cost you to just tell her on a daily basis, I love you. You mean the world to me. I can't imagine. I can't imagine life w without you. I am so glad you're mine. What does it cost you, hubby, to be able to tell her that? Wife, it doesn't take a lot of energy. It doesn't take a lot of effort to make your hubby feel special, to thank him for how hard he works, to, to, to thank him for how he provides. He doesn't deserve it, pastor. Well, then give it to him on credit. You do everything else on credit. 
The Bible says, it's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. If you will pour love into him, I mean, go home starting today and shock him out of his socks. <laughs> and wifey, you just pour on the love. Hubby, you're the one I really need to talk to. <laughs> Love and nurture usually come very naturally to a woman. Hubby, get out of that man cave. Hubby, that job one day is going to say goodbye to you, and they'll give you a gold watch, if that. But you've married her, for better or for worse, sickness and health, uh, richer for poor. And you go home today and you hold her. You love her. You tell her how much she means to you. And watch what God will do. Stop waiting for the other to do for you. And start determining to live a legacy of generosity that just blows their mind. And as you give, it shall be given unto you with the same measure that you give. It shall be uh, in a, re re a reciprocal way given back to you. Living a legacy of generosity with your family means also your children. When you're generous with your children, it doesn't mean a house full of plastic toys, computers, video games, stuff. Being generous with your children means giving them the most precious thing that you can ever give them. Your time, your presence, your listening ear. You're encouraging words when they've had a bad day at school. Your encouragement that says, you can make it. I believe in you. Together, we're going to fight this battle, and we're going to win. Being generous with your children is building memories in their precious life. My most favorite, favorite, favorite picture is hanging up in my man cave. My man cave is my garage. It's the only place my wife allows it. <laughs> and over my work table, there's a big black and white poster. And it's the picture of this kid jumping off of a cliff into the river. Big black and white poster. It's become faded over the years but written in bright red at the bottom. Dad, thanks for all the memories and the adventures. We spent most of our vacations camping and tenting to save money, but I never skimped on adventures. And if anybody knows me, they're wild and wacky, crazy, sermon-illustrated adventures. And those are deeply etched on my kids' minds today. Be generous with your children. And the most powerful, the most prized, the most precious thing that you can give them is your faith in Jesus Christ. 
don't let, don't let a youth pastor, a children's pastor, a senior pastor be the first one to introduce them to Jesus. Mom and dad, get down on your knees with them. Pray with them. Tell them about Jesus. It'll be the most precious moment in your life. Give them Jesus, and you impact them for all time and for all eternity as you share Jesus with them. I've counseled. I've counseled the affluent. I've been at the bedside in the hospital of the rich and wealthy. I've never heard one of them say, Well, Pastor, I wish I'd spent more time at work. I wish I could just, I'd like to just make another dollar. Oh, pastor, if I'd given the company, the corporation, more of my energy, my time, my effort. Not one. But I have heard them say, if I had it to live over again, more time with my son, more time with my daughter, investing in them, being generous with them, being a blessing to your family. It's all about living a legacy of generosity. Isaac, Isaac, Isaac did something really, really, really strange. We have very little in the Bible about Isaac, much more with Abraham and Jacob. But there's one thing that stood out in the mind of God, and that's all that matters when it comes to Isaac. And the scripture records it. Genesis chapter 26. Now a severe famine overshadowed the land. If you were in the midst of starvation, what would you do with your food? It'd be more precious than gold, wouldn't it? And if you had seed and your family and you are starving... And the famine's getting worse. What would you do with your seed? You'd eat it, finally. Yeah, seed is digestible. But what did Isaac do? Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. The Bible's making a big point here. In the grip of a deadly famine, Isaac, rather than eating his seed by faith, by faith, by faith, he planted it, and God blessed him for it. Like Isaac, many of you are facing, and you're confronted by need this morning. You're confronted by a need with your dreams. You're confronted by a need in your finances or your health. What do you do when you're faced with a need? That's not a time to eat your seed. It's a time to plant your seed. This is the legacy of Isaac. It's not enough to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you for a harvest. Uh, I'm just going to hope a, a, a harvest is going to come in. No. We need to do something. Because faith without works is you need to plant your seed, uh, your finances in good ground, uh, uh, God's work. The reason many people, the reason many people, hear me in this, the reason many people are not growing is because they're not sowing. 
The many that uh, the, the, the reason many are not advancing spiritually, the reason that many are not being stretched in their faith, the reason many are not prospering, they're not under favor, they're not under God's abundance, is the reason that they're not planting seed. Look at the reciprocal principle crop up again. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Paul writes, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. What if a farmer, what if a farmer in the springtime uh, uh, just walked into his barren field and stood there twiddling his thumbs and began to say, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that I'd have a harvest. I'm hoping to have a harvest. God, I'm trusting you for harvest. And that's all he did. We'd look at him and say, you nut. Trust God and plant your seed. Trust God and sow your seed. Trust God and do some planting. You see that? That's God's divine principle. Learn, write it down, to be more seed-oriented than need-oriented. Get your focus off the need and get your focus onto the seed. Uh, Psalms 37, in times of difficulty, trust in the Lord, period, is that what the psalmist says here? Huh? Just trust? Just trust? No! you got to do something. you got to do good. If you want to reap good things in your life, sow some good seeds. We reap what we sow. If you want to reap happiness, then start planting some happiness by making other people happy. Do you feel like you've got nothing to give? Pastor, I've got nothing to give. You give a call, give a call, call me. Uh, no, better yet, call Pastor Hal. And he'll send you out to somebody that needs groceries. He'll send you out to somebody that needs a hospital visit. He'll send you out to somebody in a nursing home. He'll send you out to somebody that's shut in, a member of this congregation that hasn't been in this church for over a year. They're all alone, and nobody, nobody except the pastors is saying hello and giving an encouraging word. They need what you have to give. You've got something in you to give. It might be a listening ear. It might be an encouraging word. It might be just a smile. You've got something to give. Look around you for those in need. For instance, I know, I know, I know uh, of a situation where there's two sets of twins. Twin boys and twin girls. And if you want to be a blessing, then, then watch the children of this young mother about ready to lose her mind. If you're qualified. Because those are precious grandchildren. Somebody, somebody, somebody needs what you have to give. Somebody needs your smile, your love, your care, your attention, your encouragement. The Bible says a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. When was the last time you spent some time refreshing somebody else? When we meet other people's needs, God always, always meets our needs because we reap what we sow. So therefore, start sowing seed so God can bring you a harvest.
Don't go through life a bloodsucker tick, a taker. Become a giver. Get up each morning and say, I'm going to make somebody else happy today. I'm going to go out and be an encourager. I'm going to help meet somebody else's need. I'm going to sow some good seed into God's work. I'm going to live a legacy of generosity. Lastly, Jacob. Jacob's legacy of generosity. Jacob's legacy for all time and eternity is being generous to God with money. Notice the overwhelming applause and amen. If there's any time a congregation will get still and quiet, it's when a preacher talks about giving money. But I'm convinced that one of the most exciting topics to talk about is money. If you don't believe money's exciting, I want you to put your hand in the pocket of the guy next to you and pull out his wallet and see what happens. Money! Yeah, you're with me now. It's an exciting discussion to have. I wish Pastor Phil would preach the gospel and stop talking about money. Hey, I'm accountable to God to preach the gospel. And the New Testament talks more, teaches more, explains more about money than it does about heaven and hell combined. Jesus taught more about money. His parables deal more about money than they do about prayer. It's no light subject in the Word of God. Write it down. The generous enjoy real prosperity because they've learned that God wants us to invest where? In ourselves. Hallelujah. That should make you happy. Why aren't we clapping now? Come on, Ron. Why aren't we clapping now? God wants you to invest in yourself. You say, what, preacher? I, I was waiting for you to talk about giving to the church. No, God wants you to invest with yourself. You, your first stop should be to invest in self. And I've got Bible for it. You know I always have Bible for it. Jesus said in Matthew 6.20, but store up for yourselves, this is the words of Jesus, treasures in heaven. Jesus' generosity, prosperity plan teaches us to invest in permanency, not that which is transient. We are called by God to invest our monies in that which is permanent, not temporary. Have you been watching the horror of the California fires on the tube? If you knew that the raging inferno was about to come over the hill, the mountain, where your home was built, what would be the first thing that you would do? What would you get out of your house? Besides your family, besides your photos, what would you get out of your house? You would remove out of your house your most valuable possessions. Capiche? 
You with me? That's right. What's going to happen one day to this world? What's going to happen to the, everything in this world? What's going to happen to this planet one day? If you believe the Word of God, if you receive the Word of God, you know how the book ends. This whole world is going to burn up. There's a fire coming. First time a flood, next time a fire. Scripture's clear on this. And everything that we invest our time in, our effort in, we make payments on it. Because the more you own, the more owns you. <laughs> and you become a slave to it. And then we go into debt over it. It's going to burn up. So Jesus wants you to invest in yourself by storing up your treasures where? Look at verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Listen, I'm not in the car business. You know, I, I like to be a horse jockey with, with cars, used cars, but I'm not in the automotive business. I'm not in the education business. I'm not in the healthcare business. What business am I in? I'm in the eternity business. I am called by God to prepare your soul for eternity. That's forever. I'm accountable to God to teach you how to live a legacy of generosity and to enjoy life in the here and now and the hereafter. To do so, you must follow Jacob's legacy of generosity. What does the Bible say about Jacob? What stood out about the life of Jacob to God? Genesis 28, Then Jacob made this vow, If God will indeed be with me, then the Lord will certainly be my God, and I will present to God a tenth, a tenth of everything He gives me. What is this tenth? What is this all about? What's this tenth called? A tithe. A tithe. I've had people look me in the eye and saying, Pastor Christ, tithing was under the law of Moses. It's under the old covenant. It's under the old agreement. We're under the new covenant. We're under the blood of Jesus. We're not under law. We're under grace. Hence, tithing no longer holds to us. Your rationale might sound good on the surface, but the fact is, tithing took place by Jacob and Isaac and Abraham hundreds of years, centuries before Moses was ever born. In fact, one could argue that tithing began in the Garden of Eden when God said, all of the fruit of all of the trees you can eat, but this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, I reserve this unto myself. Don't touch it. Don't taste it. It is mine. That's what the tithe is. The 10%. It's not yours. I said it's not yours. In fact, all of it's not yours. It all comes from God. You are called to be a bank manager over what God gives you. I mean, do you worry when you put your money in the bank? Huh? When you put your money in the bank, when was the last time you got a postcard from Hawaii from the bank manager? Oh, would you make another deposit? 
The wife and the kids and I, we're having a great time with your money over here in Hawaii. No. You trust the bank to be a manager. A steward is the Bible usage of your monies. That's what you are with God's money. God gave you a brain. God gave you a body. God gave you education. God gave you ability. God gave you expertise and ingenuity to earn a paycheck every week. None of that came from you. If you don't believe that you inherently own that, then walk with me to the hospital. Walk with me to the mental institutions. I can show you case after case after case. They don't have what you have. All that you have and all that you are, it comes from God. And you are to manage what he's given you. One day you will give a report and how things went. That's right. But the neat thing is, the neat thing is, we get by giving. Let me show you how this works. Like Jacob the generous, activate God's prosperity plan by obeying God's word on tithes and offerings. God said in Malachi chapter 3, the most familiar teaching on it, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer. That's better than all state, AAA, State Farm, all combined together. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Look at all the questions on giving. This portion of God's word answers. How much are we supposed to give? Some of you have been giving consistently every week, but you haven't been tithing. You were brought up in a religious background that if you gave $5 in the offering, that's tithing. No, it's not. What is the tithe? No, it's the first 10%. It's always the first 10% of your net or gross income. Gross. There it is. Gross income. Who gets more out of your gross income, the government or God? Who's greater, God or the government? Why have you been losing out on divine prosperity? Because you have been mitigating God's first tenth in your gross income. If you will practice this, listen, Becky and I are a living example of this. Your deacons are living. They wouldn't be on the board. I check. I check. I look. They would not be on the board if they were not following to the letter the first 10%, the tithe. When you do this, when you obey the Word of God, when you faithfully follow the Word of God, there, you can't help but be blessed. Amen. Oh, I'm going to put somebody on the spot real quick that's saying amen. Why are you saying amen to this? Because we've lived it over the last five or six years. What's just happened, Angela? Um, a couple months ago, Matt got another job with another increase. Uh, a few years ago, he was out of work. We continued to tithe, and the Lord brought a better job with increase in income. And then a couple months ago, he got another job with another seven fifty an hour, better benefits. Um, our income just, it's, it's more than doubled over the last five years. 
And these folks are faithful tithers. Faithful, faithful tithers. Amen. Amen. Bible says be instant in season and out of season. God bless you, Angela. You fulfilled that verse. How much? The first 10%. Where? Where are we supposed to give the tithe? Not, not to a five-minute-long infomercial showing stray cats and dogs and a Sarah McLaughlin song. Google that. Google that, Charity, and you'll find out only 10% goes the need. To God's storehouse. Why? That he might have meat in his house. That the preaching of God's word would go forth. The teaching of God's word would go forth. The discipleship of children, young people, uh, and, and adults would go forth. That the work of God would continue and be strong. That your offerings then could be used for missionaries, 200 plus missionaries, ministries, and projects around the world. And the promise, the windows of heaven uh, will pour out to you so much blessing, so much abundance, you won't be able to contain it. Well, pastor, is that just an Old Testament teaching? No, Jesus said in Luke 6, uh, if you give, you will get. Your gift will return to you in full and overflowing measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over. Whatever measure you use, give, large or small, will be used to measure what is given back to you. Say the word abundance. I like that running over part in Luke 6. 38, it talks about abundance. God always repays for investment into his kingdom. This is not giving to get, but we can't help uh, uh, getting when we've given. Write it down, generosity to God's house it is, is his prosperity plan for abundance, abundance in our lives. Think of it, pastors can't pastor. Churches can't be built. Missionaries can't be sent unless God is prospering his people, unless they're, they're living in abundance. What's the number one priority on God's heart? What's the number one priority on God's heart? If your children, if your children, God forbid, if your grandchildren, God forbid, tonight were kidnapped, the worst nightmare that you could imagine, what would be your number one priority? To get your children back. If you were to sit down with the Heavenly Father right now and you were to ask Him, what's the number one priority on your heart, Father? Get my children back. They've been kidnapped. They're lost. They're held in prison. Get my children back. Listen, when... God's number one priority, getting his lost children back, becomes your number one priority in your giving. He'll give you an abundance that you cannot even contain. And when he gives you prosperity, then you'll give more. More giving means more prosperity. It's a beautiful cycle. It's the law of reciprocity. You see, tithing, tithing is more than the giving of 10%. Tithing is the receiving of 90% that becomes 110% plus. Preacher, that don't make any mathematical sense. How can I give 10% and act, end up with more? I know. It doesn't make any sense in the natural. 
How can I give 10% and end up with more? How can I give 10% my tithe, and then I give my vision fund giving, then I give my missions giving? How can I, I see that every single week I'm giving and I end up with more. It doesn't make any mathematical sense in the natural. Just as I don't understand how can a black cow eat green grass and give white milk and yellow butter, but I still, even though I don't understand it, I still drink the milk and I still eat the butter. Hallelujah. Real prosperity is knowing our source of blessing doesn't come from Washington, D.C. Our source of blessing doesn't come from Wall Street. Our source of blessing is not Detroit's big three. Listen, businesses fail. Stock markets crash. The governments, they collapse. But the creator of all that there is, he never fails. His supply never runs out. His bank is always open. He owns the cattle upon a thousand hills, the Bible says. And he desires to make you the head and not the tail. Our God, He's an awesome God. Amen. Have you ever had this question come from the back seat of your car? I can remember down through the child-raising years, this question would come up time and time again from my three kids, Julie, Jonathan, and Jenny, in the back seat of the car. Daddy? What? Are we rich? I got this so often, and it became so laborious that on one vacation when they posed that question from the back seat of the car, Daddy, what? Are we rich? God just kind of birthed a word in me. Daddy, are we rich? We're richer than the richest rich. We're th we have things that money cannot buy. Love, peace, joy, contentment, and health. We've been redeemed, children, by the blood of Jesus, which is more precious than gold. Children, kids, we're heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're seated in heavenly places with Him. We've got a mansion just over the hilltop. And for the time being, the Lord is our banker, and we shall not want uh, I look back in the back seat and their eyes were just like this and then I took another mile down the road but daddy are we rich living a legacy of generosity means mastering your money who controls your money who's in charge your greed or do you have money in its proper place and priority? For our guests here this morning, a lot of our old ones have heard this story. It happened years ago. We were shopping down here at Target, and uh, we were coming through the checkout lane, which you know, you know, it, it is like a gauntlet candy bars everywhere and they know it you're bringing your kids through and what's happening i mean they're grabbing everything in sight they're they're pleading with you they're driving you crazy you're trying to add up your bill to see if the cashier is correct and jonathan was begging 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 for what kind of a candy bar 
Kit Kat. That's why to this day, even though I don't really especially enjoy Kit Kat, people give me Kit Kat. And uh, so finally I relented and I bought him a Kit Kat candy bar. And I got out in the Target parking lot over here and I thought, I'm going to try something. I'm going to experiment with something. Hey, Jonathan, he said, what? I said, could I just have, could Daddy just have a little piece of your Kit Kat candy bar? No, it's mine. But Jonathan, I paid for that. Jonathan, I gave you that. In fact, Jonathan, everything that you have has come from me. And all I'm asking is just, just a little 10%, just a little tenth uh, of your Kit Kat candy bar. Son, can I have it? Put the whole thing in his mouth. Stood there smiling at me. Sadly, regretfully, tragically, we think that's immature and childish, and the people of God do it with God all the time. Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one, love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. You see the message of Jesus? You're either going to master your money or your money is going to master you. Jesus doesn't allow any neutrality, any middle ground here. Sir, ma'am, young person, you can't be standing here on Sunday morning singing, He is Lord, He is Lord. He's risen from the dead and He is Lord. And money masters your life. Money can buy homes, cars, clothes, toys, but it can't buy you a relationship with Almighty God. That's only done through the precious blood of Jesus Christ shed upon the cross of Calvary. If money is your God, if money is your master, it will not only make you greedy, but it will keep you from being generous with people. You show, me, you show me a man that's generous with the things of God, and I'll show you a husband that's generous with his love for his wife and his children. But conversely, the opposite, tragically, is also true. Money. It is allowed to master your life. It will send you to hell laughing the entire way. Paul the Apostle said this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now we're a church that does not preach or teach once saved, always saved. We don't subscribe to the notion once you got it, you can't lose it. There's abundant teaching in the Word of God that's contrary to this. Notice, who's Paul talking to here in, in 1 Timothy? Who? Christians, the church. And notice what he says. Because of money, some have what? Strayed from what? The faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You will either master your money or your money will master you. 
How many have been to Rome, Italy? You've walked through the Vatican. Okay. Yes. Few of us. I've been through twice. There are vaults. What is it? Every 50, 100 years, they open up these vaults to see what's behind the wall. They're like time capsules. Legend goes that they opened up one of these vaults and sitting in a regal throne, a mummified skeletal figure. Regal, royal, a king. It was Charlemagne, the conqueror, who tried to revive the Roman Empire. Heaped all around him the treasures and the glory of nations, gold, silver, jewels, rubies. But in his lap was an old book. Which book do you think it was? The Bible. And one skeletal bony hand, finger, is pointing to a verse in the Bible. The words of Jesus. For what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and lose their soul? Would you stand with me? Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. We're not going to do a pledge to allegiance, but I would like you right now, I'd like you to take your hand and put it over your heart. Your heart. Do you feel the beat of that marvelous organ that God has placed within your body? It will beat hundreds, thousands, millions of times throughout your lifetime. Do you feel the thump, thump, thump. In essence, it represents your soul, the most precious thing that you have. Yet day by day, men and women are trading in their soul for the things of this world. And it happens even in the church. And it's no wonder many have strayed from the faith and they don't even know they've strayed from the faith. They don't know that they've pierced themselves with many sorrows. The beating of your heart. Each beat takes you that much closer to the day that you will stand before Him in eternity. And the books will be opened. And not only will God check to see if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, but your life's record will be opened up as well. What you've done, what you've given, what you've shared, your generosity will be exposed before the eyes of God or the lack thereof. I'm praying on that day of days that when you breathe your last breath, here on terra firma 
and inhale your first breath of heaven's sweet atmosphere, that you're going to feel the first thing that you'll feel is the loving embrace of our Lord and Savior, the lover of your soul, saying and whispering in your ear, you fought a good fight. You finished the course. You kept the faith. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And enter in to the joy of the Lord. I pray He'll be able to say that to you. I pray that you will be found faithful and living a legacy of generosity. Father, in the name of Jesus, we stand here this day. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Lord, in reverence to you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come even right now and knock upon hearts' doors. Lord, we know that these are moments of decision, moments of opportunity. We know that right now, at this moment, lives are being weighed in the balance as the Holy Spirit of God is knocking upon hearts' doors. Come home. Come home. Come home to me. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And I'm going to pray, I'm prepared to pray the prayer of salvation. If today, if right now, you would like to be included in this prayer, I want to give you that opportunity. You might be saying, you know, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm right with God. I'm not sure my sins are forgiven. I'm not certain that I have a home in heaven. If you would like to be sure, I invite you to be included in this prayer. But you have to show, you have to demonstrate your faith. If you would like to be included in a prayer that will change you in the here and now and change you for all of the hereafter, just lift up your hand right now. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. How many more this morning? God bless you. I see that hand. If you want to say yes to Jesus, isn't it time you say yes to Jesus? Just lift up your hand right now. This is a sign of your faith. Yes, sir. I see that hand. God bless you. How many more? Lift it up high. Wave it at me. I don't want to miss anyone this morning. God bless you, sir. I see that hand. God bless you. Amen. Lift it up high for Jesus. Precious Jesus. Everyone bow your heads. Close your eyes. And especially you that have your hands raised, I want you to put your heart into what we're about to pray. Everyone pray it with me right now. Pray it out loud. Dear Jesus... I come to you as I am. No excuses. No defense. Lord, I've sinned. I confess. I'm a sinner. But I declare, you're my Savior. My only hope. I believe you died for me, Jesus. And I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Resurrection living. 
thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for cleansing me, for granting me a home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen and amen.